What Alfred Hitchcock movie are you thinking of that's like doing it for you? He's well, just I like do... notoriously a big old perv. Like, yeah, I mean, I, do, I mean, the rear window is so hot. Oh, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way about yeah. the birds. have a co-host with us today. Hello! If you're wondering who that is, <laughs> let's TBT to season one, our bisexuality roundtable with Shelly B. Farmer. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Ooh. Oh, that's hard. Despite the fact that Amanda Bynes looked very sexy in it, um, she's the man. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> That's the worst. Guys, I watch a lot of really good movies. I'm a real movie snob, so like, I don't take the time to see most movies. I would also like to note that no one calls me Shelly B. Farmer. Oh, we do. We all call you Shelly B. Farmer. Maybe I'll adopt that as my official stage name. Email. That is yes. That is my email. Because Shelly Farmer was taken. Why are you here? I am here because I am a film enthusiast, and I also. So, I'm the repertory publicist at Film Forum, so I work with old movies all day and try to convince people why they should go see them. What's Film Forum, Shelley? Film Forum is an excellent cinematech located in Greenwich Village. (laughs) (laughs) It's an excellent what? (laughs) Cinematech. And we show both new releases, primarily of foreign films and documentaries, as well as classic movies. I saw Grey Gardens at... Film forum. We do excellent content like that all the time. We made a joke about us doing an old Hollywood episode where you would be a guest co-host. Yes, and I subsequently texted and tweeted at you about how much I wanted to do it. So I'm glad it's finally come to fruition. We yeah. give our fans what they want. Yeah, the moral of the story is if you tweet enough, it will happen. Read some books about uh, lesbians in cinema and tweet pictures of it to the podcast. And, <laughs> and we'll do anything. And it will happen. It's possible. 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 We're talking about old Hollywood, which is very vague. So to clarify, the 1920s to the 1960s. So that's like the Citizen Kane, Wizard of Oz... Name a third movie, anyone. I mean, if we want to make it specific from the beginning of Talkies to the beginning of New Hollywood in the 60s, we could say that it started in 1929 with The Jazz Singer, which Ooh, was the first... Sure. This is why we brought yeah. Shelley B. Farmer into the right. right. <laughs> I think we could count some silent films as, you know, the official classic Hollywood mm-hmm. period, but I think that maybe it's more to our purpose to consider it from 29 with The Jazz Singer, which is sort of like a half-talky, half-silent, but considered mm-hmm. the first real talkie until the 60s when New Hollywood first started to emerge. Yep. So it's from 1929 to the 60s when New Hollywood started to emerge. <laughs> you heard it here Thank first. Thank you. Which we knew all along and we were just trying to get Shelley to explain. <laughs> we definitely knew the whole time. Thank you so much for setting me up. And yeah. The Hayes Code was like 
like a self-imposed, self-adopted series of laws about censorship that were applied to movies beginning in 1930, though it wasn't really strictly enforced until 1934 and lasted until about 1968, though over the decade of the 60s and the late 50s, its impact started to lessen. It was less of an important thing. Often filmmakers would sort of circumvent it. But yeah, pretty much from 1934 to 1968, it was the set of rules that governed what you could show on screen in Hollywood. So who made it? Who was imposing it? Was there like a morality bureau? Yeah, there was like a central bureau, like the Hayes office that instituted this. The interesting thing about it was that like the studios weren't necessarily legally compelled to comply to it. So it was sort of a self-adopted thing. And that became a a lot trickier once it got to like the late 50s and the 60s because more and more filmmakers were starting to circumvent it and the studios started to find that it was economically good for them to make these more racy movies. Like an example of a movie that was rated X was Midnight Cowboy in 1967, which ended up being the Best Picture winner, which is Mm -hmm. a queer movie. But yeah, so I mean, it was rated X, so that was sort of this like self-imposed censorship because that kept you know young people out of seeing the movie but the studios were finding in that era that it was profitable to make these movies that were more racy and so that led to the end of the Hayes Code. But the Catholic Legion of Decency came in and they were like we'll allow basically homosexuality on screen as long as it's in a bad way mm-hmm. and everyone was like alright. And I mean the interesting thing with the Hayes Code is that it wasn't only like overt sexuality that was demonized but it was even things like pregnancy and like men and women sleeping in the same bed, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you'll see a lot of older films where you'll see a married couple even sleeping in separate twin beds. While the law of it was very strict, like, there are a lot of very creative ways that filmmakers came up with subverting it. Like, a very famous example is that in the movie Notorious, Alfred Hitchcock got around the rule that you couldn't kiss for longer than three seconds by having Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman kiss for three seconds at a time, but repeatedly over and over. So they have a scene in which they're delivering their dialogue but just delivering a series of kisses and interrupting it with lines. They're basically making out through this whole scene in a way that is a lot racier than you would see in most Hollywood movies of the era, but they don't technically break the rules. Um, You weren't allowed to show pregnancy on screen, so if you have something like The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, this Preston Sturgis film that centers around a pregnancy, you never see the woman pregnant. They are only able to hint at the fact that she's pregnant. They can never say it out loud. I mean, this film in particular is a very interesting example of subverting the code in that it was made in the mid-40s when the code was in full swing and the plot completely centers around a woman having unprotected sex with a man whom she doesn't know and getting knocked up. So I mean that's the central plot of the movie but and that was completely forbidden to show on screen. One, to have extramarital sex. Two, to show a pregnant woman on screen. But they somehow through hinting at it rather than saying it out loud let her get away with the fact that the whole plot is centered around her having drunk in sex with a man she doesn't know, getting pregnant, and then they never show the pregnancy. They show her in profile sitting in a chair to suggest that she is pregnant. And then later in the movie, she has, I think, uh, quintuplets. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> How do you make a movie? How do you make a movie? That's it. I've never heard of this movie before, so I'm just mm. a little taken back because in preparation for this, we watched a couple of movies, sure. and it's very clear when characters in the movie are kind of dancing around homosexuality. Right. But something like pregnancy. Like, how mm-hmm. do you hint at that? On I Love Lucy when she got pregnant, they, like, literally weren't allowed to say pregnant. Mm-hmm. What? Um, That's yeah. amazing. 
That's yeah. That's really Like, the funny. episode, literally, they aren't allowed to say it, mm-hmm. and so they end up, so that they could, like, technically get around the code and not have to say, like, Lucy is pregnant. Wow, yeah. And so the censors were like, ah, foiled again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, same with Morgan's Creek. They never say that she's pregnant. I mean, the whole thing is that she goes to a dance for, like, GIs before they're shipped off to the war, um, and the next day she's like, oh, my memories are so fuzzy. I don't know what happened last night. And then she finds that she has a ring on her finger and she's like, I guess I got married. So they can get away with her having slept with the guy because it's like, I guess I'm married. Hmm. And then she has to like convince her friend to marry her to make it legitimate when she thinks that she's pregnant, but they never say it. What happens to the quintuplets at the end? Oh, they're like, we've got more boys to go to war! (laughs) 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 It's good for America! More soldiers are born! That's very shocking. (laughs) It's incredible. I love this topic! This is truly the best movie ever. What is this miracle of Morgan's Creek? We can't tell you now, but here's how it started. When Eddie Bracken, the nicest boy in town, brought home Betty Hutton, the peppiest girl in town, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And with a fire-eating father like Bill Demarest and a smarty kid sister like Diana Lynn, what happens to Eddie shouldn't happen. Black tire! We fell asleep in a movie! That's all I wanted to know! This is the biggest thing happened to this station. We stole it from the Indians. There was the whole thing about how you couldn't show sexual perversion if it was in a positive light, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And so that led to gay characters being on screen, but always as like villains or like deviants or like mm-hmm. kind of like sneaky, scary people. Mm-hmm. And two movies we watched this week about that were Rope, mm-hmm. the Alfred Hitchcock movie, and Suddenly Last Summer, the Tennessee Williams movie. Yeah. Both of which have gay uh, or que- queer men yeah. in them, both of whom in Suddenly Last Summer, spoiled. Spoiler alert, <laughs> both these movies came out over 50 years ago. <laughs> Spoilers do not count anymore. So you'll, if you don't want to be spoiled about Sunday Last Summer, stop the podcast now. At the end of Sunday Last Summer, the gay man gets eaten by cannibals. <laughs> Which is subtlety at its finest. In the movie, we never see him. We see, like, yeah. parts of his body right. through that whole, like, kind of montage sequence. Or right. we see, like, the back of his head or, like, his ear and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when you see him being eaten, it, he just kind of gets mauled. Right. And he's just kind of referenced through the five scenes that make up that movie. Mm-hmm. In the play, he's never even on stage. <laughs> and also, I mean, that's by a gay writer, whereas yeah. Rope, I mean, that's an Alfred Hitchcock film, and Hitchcock was, like, an unbearably <laughs> heterosexual director. Fun fact, though, <laughs> I just read a book that had an interview with Arthur Lawrence talking about Rope, where he was a gay man, and he worked on the screenplay of Rope mm. with Alfred Hitchcock, and he talked in it about how he would basically be like, and they're, like, then they kiss. And Alfred Hitchcock was like, no. Mm. Then mm. they like look at each other, right. and Arthur Lawrence would be like, and then they go have sex. And Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> was like, okay, but we're just gonna see them leave the room, and we're not gonna go any farther. And Arthur Lawrence was like, and then their friends come over, and their friends are like, we love our gay friends. And Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> was like, no. And like he had to keep like pulling him back because Arthur Lawrence was like, fuck the code, we'll do whatever we want. Right. And Alfred Hitchcock had to keep I don't know why I keep referring to him by his full name, but he had to keep telling Arthur Lawrence, no, they have to be. We can only hint at the fact that they're gay, and they have to be explicitly evil for us to have them in the movie. And Arthur right. Lawrence was like. Because he came from theater. Sure. This sounds like us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 
I'm Arthur. Arthur Lawrence. Lawrence. <laughs> and, Hitchcock. and Hitchcock is like notoriously good at subverting the code. Like he yeah. got in like a lot of racy stuff in his movies, but he never yeah. like officially broke the code. But I definitely remember <laughs> watching it back in high school with my friends and being like, wait, <laughs> wait, is he gay? Right. <laughs> like, are we all on the same page with mm. this? And I find it interesting a work like Rope, where you have, like I said, like a hideously heterosexual <laughs> director like Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. but you have queer actors like Farley Granger and like mm-hmm. that and a queer writer like Arthur Lawrence like and bringing those different layers to it I mean that's the beauty of film I guess so it's a collaborative yeah. medium so you have all of these different perspectives happening simultaneously for me the most iconic evil gay in cinema is Mrs. Danvers and yeah, Rebecca totally. another in Alfred what? Hitchcock film Rebecca Rebecca oh, Mrs. The Danvers show that never made it like the musical yeah, yeah. The <laughs> it was originally a book and then a movie yeah so Rebecca is based on a Daphne du Maurier novel and is about an unnamed woman who is the new wife of, in the Hitchcock movie, uh, Laurence Olivier. Isn't her name Rebecca? Well, no, no Rebecca no. is the dead former wife who's oh, haunting the house. Who, oh. Yeah, there's like a giant portrait oh, of her. And Rebecca's this, a ghost! Yeah, she's like haunting the new wife who can't escape from the shadow of the former wife, Rebecca, who was this like malignant, controlling, but irresistible first wife. See, I told wife. you would love it. I've never felt so represented. (laughs) (laughs) But Mrs. Danvers is the housekeeper who has an unhealthy attachment to the first wife. Uh And in the movie, there are scenes of her being like, look at her lingerie. It's so delicate. Yeah, she literally looks at her underwear and is like, have you ever seen anything so delicate as this? But yeah, she's completely obsessed with her and she tries to like drive the new wife mad. So she's like the the evil, malicious, manipulative. And like clearly coded as in some capacity queer and like in love with Rebecca. If the and like in some capacity, it's like very yeah. It's she, like there's no coding almost. It's yeah, like she's she's fully like look at her underwear. Yeah, she musical, literally pulls out her underwear. Yeah. <laughs> if the musical came to Broadway, who would play her? Because this that'll help me. Ooh, Mary Testa. Okay, good. <laughs> That's what I was picturing. It was like I feel like it's kind of like an Anne Dowdy like role. Not quite Anne Dowd. Okay, but more Mary if, Testa. More Mary Testa. If we're gonna do like that kind of actress, err on the side of Margot Martindale, not all the way to Anne Dowd. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Yeah. So not Mary Testa and Xanadu. Mary Correct. Testa. Mary Testa in first yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> this is where I keep all her clothes. You would like to see them, wouldn't you? I keep her underwear on this side. They were made specially for her by the nuns in the convent of St. Clair. I always used to wait up for her, no matter how late. Sometimes she and Mr. De Winter didn't come home until dawn. While she was undressing, she'd tell me about the party she'd been to. She knew everyone that mattered. Everyone loved her. When she'd finished her bath, she'd go into the bedroom and go over to the dressing table. Oh, you've moved her brush, haven't you? There, that's better. Just as she always laid it down. I'd stand behind her like this brush away for 20 minutes at a time. And then she would say, good night, Danny, and step into her bed. We have a list of 
some more so than other closeted celebrities. Like the, we have a, a short list. Yeah. Shelly, however, brought a packet. Yeah, Shelly. I did one. bring many pages. Of she packs. has like a fifty-page yes document. That, Shout out that to Audis Straddle for oh. <laughs> their <laughs> list of the most sexually prolific lesbians and bisexuals of old Hollywood. I really, who I really wish that I could explain who? to the listeners how big this packet is. It is quite large. So the first person on our list, or the first people on our list, you want to take this one because I can feel you getting over. <laughs> Yeah. No. Marlon Brando. Hey, what is that? That got a universal thumbs down. No one likes that. Pick something else to say. Say something else. Just amazing. But, but put the sound effect. Robert said something horrible. That we loved it. Tell us, okay, tell us about Marlon We're Brando. We're talking about Marlon Brando and James Dean. Here's the thing, listeners. Horrible. <laughs> You're probably thinking, why are they listed together? Well, because they were together and they had a like really rough SM relationship. And you didn't put that water bottle down because I can't. It's getting hot. It's horrible. Um, but my mouth just went dry. I, um, my, I, but I was reading this like really long thing about that, how they were like on again, off again, and they were in like this really toxic relationship and for some reason the only thing that stood out to me was that Marlon Brando would put his cigarettes out on James Dean. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe Funnily this. enough, I actually just texted Anna the other day about Emma Roberts that I wanted her to put a cigarette out in my mouth. <laughs> and I said, don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> they were so used for their masculinity and mm-hmm. their attraction to mm-hmm. women that they were kind of like studs and stars. I'm copywriting that. <laughs> That's um, your autobiography. <laughs> but then, like, secretly, they were actually, like, together. Now, see, I would actually push back on that notion. Oh. Because, ooh, because I think that... Controversy on the podcast. Their appeal as stars was their vulnerability in the way that they sort of subverted typical masculinity that you often saw in movies. I think part of what, like, made women of that era go so gaga over both of them is that there was that element of queerness to their personas mm-hmm. that it didn't feel like I mean maybe this is speaking as a bisexual but that there's something very like that voice. <laughs> <a> bisexual <laughs> there's something very erotic about like an element of queerness in a man and I think that both of them had that that they didn't have that sort of like strictly heterosexual macho masculine thing that yeah. they they really sort of like undermined that expectation of like masculinity and I think that that was part of their appeal as stars I think that's still around today oh for sure with a lot of stars where like you go to see like a big action movie Mm -hmm. and you go to see it because the guy is like charming and vulnerable but but also like blowing up buildings and stuff like that and honestly anybody who's got like a thing for Eddie Redmayne it's because he's like (laughs) this is awful I need to leave I I don't feel safe It's like, what is his deal? <laughs> also fun with James Dean is that he starred in Giant, which had the like mm-hmm. trifecta of gay stars. Yeah. Tim Rock Hudson Salminio. Or queer stars of the era. Mm-hmm. I don't know if James Dean, was he gay or was he bisexual? It's kind of up in the air. Yeah. And also with iconic fat gag, Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth oh, Taylor, yes. founder of AMDA. Also founder of AMFAR. Anyone? 
No, um, what's that? It's like an AIDS research and like a development foundation that is still around today that is where the like red ribbon comes right, from. Yeah. Oh. Found it because of her friendship with Rock Hudson. Yeah. Because right. after the Seems Reagan like- administration denied medication to millions of people just mm. because they were gay. <laughs> uh, Nancy Reagan, I, I meanest and thinnest of all the first ladies. <laughs> Nancy Reagan denied her best friend Rock Hudson treatment for his AIDS and then he died. And because of that, Elizabeth Taylor founded Amphar, which is like, so she founded it because so many, specifically Rock Hudson, but so many gay celebrities had to like, gay and queer and bi celebrities had to keep quiet about their AIDS diagnoses, mm-hmm. including another person on our list, Anthony Perkins. Right. Oh. He's so hot. He was a real babe, but also he had a very sad life. He did. I know. He was married, had multiple children, was like a very sweet, kept to himself kind of guy, and apparently he was very, very sad the last few years of his life. And also, going back to Elizabeth Taylor, we could use her basically as like the locus for finding every gay celebrity of her era because she was friends with all of them, (laughs) uh, including her best friend Montgomery Cliff, also in Suddenly Last Summer. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she personally pulled a tooth out of his throat. So uh, yes, yeah, yes, that's true friendship. Our... He was in a car wreck as he was leaving a party at her house. He completely smashed up his face. He was choking mm-hmm. on his own tooth, dying. She reached her hand in his throat, pulled out his tooth, and he had reconstructive facial surgery and never looked the same after that. Which he was so depressed about, and he became an alcoholic. Elizabeth Taylor is an icon for many reasons, but yeah. to me. <laughs> She dragged his body from the car because the car eventually, like, burst into flames. And all I could imagine was, like, my vision of Elizabeth Taylor. Just, like, big hair, (laughs) diamonds. Yeah, like, (laughs) dragging a bloodied man across the... Oh, yes. Good friend, good ally. Who's our sponsor this season, Robert? Our patrons. What does that mean? Well, you can go on to patreon.com. P-A-T-E-R-O-N. R-E-O-N. R-E-O-N. Slash one more thing. And become a patron. It's super easy. You click a button, you give us money, and that's it. But Robert, I don't have a lot of money. Right now, I think I have like $1. You know what? There's a plan for you. You can subscribe for $1 a month and get a new bonus episode emailed to you once a month. What if I have a little bit more money to give you? I don't know, like $5? You can go to patreon.com slash one more thing and subscribe to our $5 plan, which is you get a video episode. It's like a vlog. What was that link again? Patreon.com slash one more thing. Spell Patreon for me. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash O-N-E-M-O-R-E-T-H-I-N-G. This money goes to giving you everything you deserve with content, quality, and coverage. The three C's, content, quality, and coverage. Oh, wow. starts with a key. <laughs> we also watched a documentary on Netflix that everyone should go watch called Tab Hunter Confidential. Yes. Yeah. Which has changed my life. <laughs> because I didn't know who Tab Hunter was. Mm-hmm. I've seen Damn Yankees. Right. And was like, yeah, sure, he's in it. He's cute. <laughs> but he is hot. Mm-hmm. This is now a podcast where I just talk about how hot all movie stars <laughs> yeah. are. But he was with Anthony Perkins for a really long time. Right, yeah. And was like a big part of his life. And yeah. they were both kind of closeted together. And there was a part of the documentary where Tab Hunter was like, he was filming a movie with um, a like, new Hollywood starlet. And she was dating this guy that the production company didn't want her to date. Mm. And she knew that he was gay. And then he was seeing Anthony. They would go to parties and then they would leave through the back door. And they would both separate and go off right. with their like, she, he would be like and she went to a bar and like we went back to 
mommy's place. <laughs> and I also read recently that apparently, I don't know if it was just later in life, that Tab Hunter was out and that Anthony Perkins never really came out until like a gossip rag published his HIV diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So apparently what I've read is that they would go on dates and when they went out in Silver Lake, they would sit together at the movie theater because it was like a very open, sort of like queer friendly area. But when they would go to other places, they would go to the movies and they would like meet up and then they would sit apart from each other mm -hmm. in the movies so that nobody would know, but they would just like be in the same room together. I cried during one part of the movie where Tab Hunter talks about this boyfriend that he had who was a famous, relatively famous figure skater. Mm. And there was a championship where he was, it was basically like as big as he possibly could get. Mm. And the, I guess the board of like figure skating went to his boyfriend and was like, listen, we'll let you compete. But if Tab Hunter comes, you're not going to win. And Tab Hunter, it cuts to Tab Hunter like now. And he was like, I went and his performance was beautiful. It's a shame he didn't win. You learn when you're in the public eye to compartmentalize. A big issue was that Tab was around, and the political game at that time is you don't do that. Tab came to the championships with Ronnie Robertson. Ronnie was told that he would not win the championships unless Tab would not come along. And Ronnie said it didn't matter. He wanted him there. And Ronnie skated. Oh. Magnificent performance. The fact that I was there with Ronnie might have hurt his ability to win. And he should have won. so many very visible famous stories about queer men in Hollywood history but something that I've always found very interesting this is a good segue <laughs> it really is <laughs> is especially in early Hollywood the number of queer women and this idea of the sewing circle that was sort of the like social group of lesbian and bi women who was in that group ooh lots of different people it's sort of centered around a Russian actress named Ala Nazimova but so she was sort of the center of this she had made Soviet films before coming to Hollywood but she like all these parties happened in her house and I believe that she coined the term of the sewing circle and a lot of emigres were in the group like Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich and the writer and poet Mercedes de Acosta was a very central member who apparently had affairs with everybody. Jay, can't believe you were there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I love my it was a wonderful time. <laughs> so wait, what did they do? Did they just like sit around in a circle and sew? Like there's no literal sewing going on to my knowledge. <laughs> Um, oh. It was just parties with ladies, with a bunch of gal pals who got together, and a lot of these people had affairs with each other. There were a lot of like famous early Hollywood stars who would have like long-term affairs with women, and then especially as the Hayes Code came into place and you know heterosexuality became more uh, strictly enforced. You know, some of them had marriages of convenience with men, often gay men, to mm -hmm. you know support their public image, but would continue to have affairs with women. Um, yeah, me and Robert. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, that's a rumor about Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Like, they had this long affair with each other, even, you know, cheating on their spouses with each other, but a lot of people believe that both of them are gay. What's the deal with Catherine Hepburn? She's an interesting figure. Like, she definitely... 
she definitely broke a lot of you know gender boundaries for her time like I mean she was seen as like a real rebel for wearing pants all the time and mm-hmm. like she even did films that were interesting when it came to gender like Sylvia Scarlet from I think 1936 she plays like an, an actor she like dresses up as a man for the film there's a lot of like very Shakespearean sort of like gender confusion going on where she is like falling in love with this man but she's dressed as a man during that so I mean yeah even in her hmm. career there was like a lot of gender ambiguity going on and she carried that over into her real life she was from this very high class waspy family and so she sort of had the freedom and the privilege to experiment with her gender a little bit more and to wear pants and play sports and <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and so that sort of like stuck with her throughout her life and her career at this question of what's her deal like yeah. how is she presenting like even in like the Philadelphia story which you know is one of her most famous movies like basically the whole plot of it is in order for her to be a good woman and a good lover and a good wife that she has to be sort of tamed like mm-hmm. the whole thing about her character is that she's like frigid which I think raises a lot of questions about her star persona and about how she yeah. presented herself in her life similar along those lines too let's talk about Agnes Moorhead sure <laughs> <laughs> all of her friends either say like she was for sure a lesbian or they're like she was absolutely not like <laughs> right. she never even like met another woman like Debbie Reynolds she never talked to a woman in her life <laughs> much like me she has never met a woman like Debbie Reynolds may she rest in peace like fully was like no that is a rumor that is a lie that is not true I didn't know that Debbie Reynolds said that because she's also in the Tab Hunter documentary and she's like Tab Hunter's gay like I we were trying to get set up together and like does a whole thing about him how funny she didn't know that Will Truman was gay <laughs> Anyway, many people said that Agnes Moorhead was not a lesbian, but, like, a lot of people did. So, as our expert, what do you think? I I know you were there. In my experience with Agnes, (laughs) I will say I'm not as up on the Agnes Moorhead gossip. I get get a lot of gossip about Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich, but, yeah, I don't know. Agnes is a bit of an enigma to me as well. So, so. it looks like we're going to have to go back in time. I guess. (laughs) We'll have to try to seduce Agnes Moorhead. I want to hear more about Greta Garbo. Yes, I mean, Greta Garbo was always, like, a very mysterious figure amongst her peers in Hollywood. Same. She, you know, was Swedish. She came to Hollywood, didn't really know anybody, and so she was known for being sort of mysterious and keeping to herself. And she was rumored to have a long on-again, off-again affair with her co-star John Gilbert. But she was also rumored to have had an affair with Marlena Dietrich. And I think one of the most interesting things about her in terms of her sexuality and sexual presentation is the movie Queen Christina. So she made it in 1933. The Hays Code was already in effect. It wasn't really seriously enforced until 1934. So this was like right on the cusp and Queen Christina of Sweden was a you know pretty famously queer queen. Mm -hmm. You know dressed as a man and she lived most of her life as a man she had female lovers so when she was making the film she wanted to include aspects of that but the studio was not really willing to go as far as she wanted to go they wanted to make the central point of the film this like heterosexual romance but she managed to work in a lot more than you would expect at this time when that was like right on the edge of the like serious enforcement of the code Mm -hmm. so I mean she spends the entire movie basically in 
men's clothing and like ultimately like the main story is her romance with a man. But she literally has a scene where she kisses her like handmaiden on the mouth as a greeting. Oh. Yeah, it ends up being more subtext than text, but I mean, she gets in some interesting moments, much hmm. like Marlena Dietrich did in her, you know, same-sex kiss in Morocco. Can I quickly tell you what the tagline of Queen Christina is? Please. Hmm. Triumphant return to the screen. Uh, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Triumphant return of lesbians. To yeah. <laughs> so very concise. Funnily enough, that's the same tagline for the mayor. <laughs> your Majesty, I must again speak to you about your marriage with Prince Charles. Oh, this eternal talk about Charles. I cannot tell you how it wearies me. I do not see eye to eye with Charles about anything. It is for Sweden. It is your duty. Why is it my duty? I serve the people with all my thoughts, with all my energy, with all my dreams, waking and sleeping. I do not wish to marry and they cannot force me. You must give Sweden an heir. Not by Charles, Chancellor. You are Sweden's queen. You cannot die an old maid. I have no intention to, Chancellor. I shall die a bachelor. So something that um, I think about a lot when I watch classic Hollywood or older films that might not be as open in showing queer topics is the imaginative work that queer viewers have to do. And so I read a book recently mm -hmm. called Vampires and Violets, Lesbians in Film. Oh my god, yeah, I've read that. It's great. It's by Andrea Weiss, or Weiss, I don't know how she says it. But something interesting is you know, how we as viewers interpret these works and how we as queer viewers specifically project meaning onto films or maybe are able to intuit meaning that filmmakers mm -hmm. couldn't say as openly. Like, mm -hmm. for example, I, in 1948, when Rope came out, do we necessarily think that every audience member would be able to intuit that these were queer characters? Or do we think that there's something about being queer viewers that we're able to catch on to those things that maybe they other audience members couldn't, you know? Huh. Well, an example of that that I think is sort of my favorite example of that, just talking right in a circle, is <laughs> All That Heaven Allows. Mm-hmm. It's a movie from 1955 that stars Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson and our friend friend of the podcast, Agnes Moorhead. <laughs> it's about like a tortured love affair of like a rich woman and a poor man. It's like very, very, very yeah, very <laughs> awesome. You're the rich woman and I'm the poor man. Uh -huh. um, but Rock Hudson plays the poor man who, whenever you see Rock Hudson in a movie, it's sort of, I, I'm never sure whether I'm just thinking this because I know mm. or if everyone at the time was like, oh, he's gay. Like, I don't believe that he's obviously gay. But, like, when I, when I watch All That Heaven Allows or, like, any movie that he's the male romantic lead in, I'm like, that guy's gay. Right. You know? Then they, like, throw in Agnes Moorhead to be, like, the friend mm -hmm. who's like, don't go away with him. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're just, we're all hanging out today. Like, all the queers are here. And, um... <laughs> Much like when Robert comes to my apartment. Um, <laughs> I at least feel that way about, like, Agnes Moorhead, too. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, that's clearly a lesbian. Right. Like, I can't watch a Barbara Stanwyck movie without yeah. being like, oh, she's like, very oh, okay. gay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't watch a Zac Efron movie without thinking the same thing. <laughs> and I can't watch a Leigh Michelle movie, period. Um, so, <laughs> it's interesting to think about the fact that maybe the audience didn't know, but everyone in Hollywood knew. Mm. There were obviously also queer filmmakers mm -hmm. behind the scenes, like, directing them, writing them. I just personally can't imagine that it's not 
that it was never talked about and that it was it wasn't like a specific choice to be like you know rock hudson is just like an easy example even though this man is like definitely gay and everyone knows it we're going to keep making him the male romantic lead Mm -hmm. yeah i mean something that i find interesting about this book is that i she uses a lot of examples of contemporary reviews of films Mm -hmm. and she'll often compare them from mainstream media and from specifically queer media and you'll see the differences in the way that people received those stories and like the ways in which the queer publications caught on to subtext that the mainstream publications didn't. And I really like seeing later queer filmmakers who take the subtext of these older films and make them text. Mm -hmm. For example, like if we're speaking of All That Heaven Allows and Douglas Sirk to see something like Carol that takes the form of the melodrama and makes that text. Or, far From Heaven, even. Yeah, Far like From Heaven. Like an earlier example. Yeah, or any of Fassbender's films. Yeah. The way mm-hmm. that like he works in these melodramatic frameworks of old Hollywood, but he centers queer stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love this podcast so much. I wish that I could engage with it more fully beyond just listening every Monday and Friday. You can go to tinyletter.com slash one more thing and subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. Oh my God, that's amazing. I love newsletters. Yeah. You can also go to Instagram and subscribe to us at one more thing. And you can do the same thing on Twitter. You know what is another app that I use all the time? What? Facebook. Facebook, One More Thing Podcast. That's amazing. You can also post statuses and your activity can be that you're listening to One More Thing Podcast. And you can tell us what you think about the episode. What if I want to find a more public way to tell you what I think about the episode? In the podcast app, you can go to our page and hit rate and review and tell us what you think about this episode. But Robert, what if there's something I want you to talk about? You can email us at the number one more thing podcast at gmail.com. You oh know, my god. Email is the new texting. It really is. We get emails all the time. Anna yeah. shifts through them. Sifts. Sifts. Anna sifts. Anna sifts through them. So Shelly, we have an announcement to make. <gasps> Do tell. We're doing something really interesting this season. In on, episode 11, airing on November 27th. We're doing a movie club, which you're probably like, what's that? What is movie club? <laughs> Thanks, Shelly. Yeah, there we go. So we're going to tell you to watch this movie. That's not us. It's available on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, email us at one more thing at podcast.gmail.com. Yeah, if you don't have Netflix, email us and we'll send you an illegal download link. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sure. We're all going to watch it, including you, and then we're going to have a movie club episode that drops and we're all going to talk about it and we're going to have people call in who watched it it's going to be a wacky it's going to be crazy time it's called that's not us it's directed by william sullivan it's on netflix in the gay section it's about three couples on vacation at a vague body of water that we did not look up what whether it's a lake or just the beach there's one straight couple there's one lesbian couple and there's one gay couple and they're all on vacation together hijinks ensues yeah i like the balance to that thank you so Um, much we were looking for a movie to do this with and we watched the trailer for it and we were like one we need to watch this immediately we saw the trailer and we went that's not us (laughs) oh god so we'll see you next week everybody big disappointment in terms of later filmmakers making the subtext text in these established genres is um, not to, you know, plug myself, but I've been trying to, you know, raise funding for a musical film that, you know, works in the aesthetic framework of these classic musicals, but is about a queer story. And I'm surprised that there aren't more musicals that Mm. take Mm. the homosexual or bisexual subtext and make it text in, because I mean, that's like such a, there are so many. It's really queer. Like There's so many queer creators in musical theater, and the fact that there haven't been more musical stories centered 
featured on Queer Relationships is baffling to me. We yeah. had this same conversation after we saw La La Land. Yeah. Which literally yeah. directly correlates yes. to this conversation. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. Um, because we were like, oh, it would be so cool mm-hmm. if the central love characters in La La Land were yeah. uh, anything other than straight. Is it maybe um, there'd be something <laughs> worthwhile about that? Yeah. <laughs> because you never really that get I wouldn't fall that. asleep mm-hmm. during it. Um, and but, I mean, and that movie I mean, is drawing is. from, you know, Jacques Demy and from Umbrellas mm-hmm. of Cherbourg and like, I think part of what was so disappointing about that film was that it, like, Umbrellas of Cherbourg was about working class characters. Yeah. This movie made it about straight, white, wealthy people who achieved their dreams and become hyper successful. So it's yeah. like, what mm-hmm. investment do we have in this story? Yeah, who are like not super relatable to a wide Yeah, audience. so even just having that like slight kink in it of like, not kink, but like, Whoa, <laughs> even that slight like difference of having queer characters in it, like that would give some sort of like, Weight, to yeah, it, and some sort of like vulnerability that like was missing. I've never seen a movie musical um, yeah, that's movie centered musical. around a gay couple, yeah. even though musicals are one of the gayest things right. <laughs> that have ever happened to media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so much of these like genres that traditionally draw, especially gay men, it's like that sublimation of the gay relationship into this like heterosexual framework because that's all that was socially acceptable at the time. Whether that's melodrama or musicals or you know any sort of romance, like, and we don't have that same expectation that all art has to be centered around straight people anymore so it is frustrating when you don't see people taking advantage of that and I know it's still hard to like get the money and get producers and get distributors, but I, I don't know. It, it's always a bit of a disappointment to me. Well, speaking of that, Anna, you'll love this. Our game this week is um, about that. <laughs> <laughs> she, I literally texted her saying, move on. It's that have a great segue. <laughs> Back in season one, we played a game where we wrote our ideal queer movies. And now we're doing that again, but this time it's our ideal queer old Hollywood movies. We're going to do like a general like treatment of the movie and we're going to say who would star in it but it's actors from today great you know i learned the word treatment from watching the l word so this feels pretty right (laughs) (laughs) you know me i'm an influencer (laughs) did you not learn it from like life knowing (laughs) mine would be a take on cleopatra with george clooney as the cleopatra Cleopatra. character in drag no. Like, oh. it, it would be, like, the same kind of premise, but, not like, actually. not actually Cleopatra. So what do <laughs> Not necessarily a pharaoh, but... I'm the executive. I'm, I'm interrogating you. <laughs> I want it to be a little more queer, so maybe not, like, a, like, pharaoh in the way that we think of a pharaoh, but just, like, you know... He's in Egypt. And it's kind of this story between about him and in his, oh, what is it called? Where do pharaohs live? They're not, they're not castles. Pyramid. No, that's where they <laughs> die. <don't. laughs> Just like palace? I don't know. Palace. He's in his palace. And everyone that works for him is like super hot, played by like Channing Tatum and Matt Bloomer and like Tate Diggs and like just every like crazy muscular hot guy. I want it to be like a, like they're like, 300 like oiled up and like <laughs> it's like crazy hypersexual and it's mainly because I have this memory of watching an old Hollywood movie with my great grandmother and all of the men would come up in disrobe and then like bow down to her and I have this memory of being like what is her job <laughs> countless days of my life are spent on the computer trying to figure out what movie this is tweeted us at one more thing <laughs> if you're like Robert I know what that is okay so mine is in the tradition of Singing in the Rain and The Artist, where it's about, like, when the silent movies became the talkies. It's about, like, a gay guy 
who is in the silent movies, and then they become the talkie movies, and his voice is too effeminate for the talkies. Oh no, I see what's uh, happening. I see so, what you're doing. What? <laughs> With your voice. What? It felt um, like you were going for the character a little yeah. bit. Yeah. No, that's just how I talk. <laughs> they basically have to, like, coach him. Like, they have to coach Lena Lamont and Sing in the Rain how to, like, quote-unquote, talk like a man. And so they bring in, get ready for this, a lesbian, a butch lesbian, to teach him how to lower his voice. That's right. So, the gay man, played by... This is off the top of my head because I did not think about this in advance. The gay guy is played by Zachary Quinto. Gay guy Zachary Quinto. That's a direct target. The butch lesbian is Madonna. <laughs> I was waiting for Leia Delario. <laughs> no, no. I think it would be a fun stretch for her. The studio executive who's like, this man has to talk like a man, is obviously John Goodman. Oh, oh, yes. I'm really like, I hope she says John Goodman. Oh, yeah. And surprise twist in the movie is that Zachary Quinto has a wife, like a, like a studio wife, and she and Madonna fall in love. And she is played by, let's say, making her grand return to film, Laura Benanti. Yes. She plays the wife, and she and Madonna fall in love, and Zachary Quinto and John Goodman fall in love. That's the other twist. <laughs> because, by the way, Zachary Quinto and John Goodman is my ideal celebrity <laughs> So I love um, screwball comedies. That's one of my favorite genres that nobody does anymore. So I think that there should be like a 30s-style screwball comedy with Jenny Slate as a wacky heiress who probably owns a small dog. I know that I brought up Jenny Slate in the last podcast, but listen, everybody has to have a passion. So yeah, her is a wacky heiress with a dog, and then Gina Rodriguez is like a serious, hard-hitting reporter who comes to cover their family because they're probably mixed up in some bad business with the mob or something. And maybe John Goodman is one of the monsters. It's just like Sister Act. It's like Sister Act. It's just like Sister Act. It's it's absolutely nothing like um, the mob. And all of the mob guys are all having sex, I guess? Sure. Yeah. for Hollywood. That's good we Hollywood. Anna just gave me the wrap it up face. So thank you for being here, Shelly. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Follow me on Twitter at Shelly B. Farmer. And on Instagram at also Shelly B. Farmer. Yep, there you go. I have lots of selfies on Instagram, so and take a look. What are you coming to do for season three? Ooh. Uh, mm, Jenny Slate episode. Honestly, <laughs> would not be mad if you had me in for Jenny well, Slate. Well, let you know if we have Jenny Slate on the podcast. If you have Jenny Slate on the pod, make sure I will bring her water. On the pod. <laughs> on the pod. Okay, I have something to say, which is that months ago... You did. I said we should call it the pod, and everyone rolled their eyes and said, that's stupid, we don't like that. I rolled my eyes just now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Thank Um, you for being here, Shelly. It's always lovely to have you. Thank you for stealing my idea of saying the pod. (laughs) Thank you for Tweet at us what Shelly should do for season three. Yes. Um, Maybe she should be our intern. Who knows? We'll find out. (laughs) The intern. Thank you. It's the second time tonight I'm going to let Thank you to Anne Hathaway. Thank you to... Sarah Kleist for the microphone. And Stephanie Hawkins for the pictures. Dante Reed, Mega Burnett, and 440 Studios for this studio. Thank you to our producer, Anna. And our... Who's chewing a post-it. Paul Dott. I love nose no bounds. And our associate producer slash silent studio audience. <laughs> Daniela DeJesus. Thank you most of all to our... Friends with Benefits. <laughs> Thank you to our friends with benefits on Patreon. Of Shelly is one. Yes. I am. Shelly, how much do you love being a Patreon subscriber? One dollar's worth. <laughs> oh. One dollar's worth per month. <laughs> One dollar is all we ask. 
But I love it so much. She loves it. She thinks it's great. Earlier, it, we weren't recording, but earlier she said it's her favorite thing and everyone should do it. I did say that. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a conspiracy theory for season two? Step aside, Leah Michelle. <laughs> Agnes Moorhead. Illiterate or gay? <laughs> you can't be both. Oh my god, can we start a hashtag that's like, Agnes Moorhead is the new Leah Michelle? Yeah. That is too long for a hashtag. I have always said that though. She died in 1974. Leah Michelle, this is important, Leah Michelle was born in 1986. The facts don't lie. <laughs> <laughs>